Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, co-hosted by yours truly, Kate Richardson and Megan Pachecki. We're two registered dietitians here to make your life easier by debunking diet myths, sharing scientific information about nutrition, and keeping you motivated to reach your goals. We want to teach you everything we know by giving you real life examples of how we've helped our combined thousands of clients transform their lives, lose weight, and get healthy without having to go on another cookie cutter diet. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, strategies, and mindset shifts so you too can reach your goals using food and most importantly, enjoy the process. Dieting sucks. Dieting sucks so bad, which is why I'm putting this episode out. It is part two of how to make weight loss a lifestyle. I know that topic or the word weight loss can be a bit triggering for people. And as I explained in part one of this podcast, which was released a little while ago, if you just go down our archives, I am still a believer that when people want to lose weight, they have the right to lose weight. Just like people who don't want to lose weight, who don't want to eat healthy or exercise or change their body have a right to do that too. So there's no room for shaming people for wanting to lose weight in our nutrition awareness office or on any of our platforms or socials. However, we've seen over and over again for years, going on decades, how awful, awful weight loss is for our clients when they take an approach that requires them to go on an extreme diet. What's an example of an extreme diet? Something like the ketogenic diet, where they will cut carbs and only eat fat and enter a state of ketosis, and they lose a lot of weight, both water weight and body fat, And then they go off keto diet and they regain all of the weight and then some. Happens over and over again. Weight Watchers is another example. I hear it all the time where clients will tell me, oh, back in 2005, 2007, Weight Watchers worked until life got the best of them. They stopped the program and the weight crept back on. So did the diet really work? I don't know, right? I don't think so if it didn't, if it wasn't sustainable. And I I think we hear this buzzword a lot, which is make it a lifestyle, make it a lifestyle. But what the heck does that actually mean? If you're so used to dieting to lose weight or attain a specific result, eating for a healthy lifestyle may seem foreign. So today's part two of how to eat for weight loss as a lifestyle. If you haven't listened to part one, 
There's no particular order you have to listen to these episodes in, uh, but I would go back and check that episode out either after finishing this episode or if you are just a chronological person and it suits your needs to listen to them in order, go ahead and pause this episode and go listen to part one. Before we get into the tips though, I wanted to share with you guys a few little fun updates that may pique your interest. One is I am doing a ton of in-person, live, and virtual speaking engagements. So if you work for a company that loves to bring in wellness presenters, if you're part of an organization that is curious about nutrition and wellness and all of the trends and science that goes into it, or if you have company lunch and learns and you guys just want someone to virtually pop on for a call for your wellness program, look no further, I'm your gal. I can talk about a wide range of subjects and topics that pique your audience's interest. So if you have a group of people that want to talk about how to eat mindfully through seasons of life like the holidays or busy work environments, can do that. Talked about that a lot. If you have a group that wants to nerd out and talk about the science of nutrition and how it impacts everything from your brain to your body, we can talk about that. I talk to a lot of sports groups. I talk to a lot of gyms. So we can create presentations that really give your athletes more concrete information. And my goal for every presentation is to not only make it engaging and fun, because who wants to be lectured at for an hour, but to make sure that people walk away with specific tools, ideas, recipes, concrete information that they can apply to their lives that same day. I want to empower audiences to make even just one small change to their nutrition that will impact them in a positive way. So that's my goal for all presentations. And I've been doing a lot lately. In fact, this past weekend, I went and spoke to something here in Orlando called the Bold University. And long story short, the woman who started it, she noticed that most companies don't have wellness programs or benefits. So she wanted to create an outside experience for women in business who wanted to connect with other like-minded individuals and get more information and tools to impact their well-being. So I got to speak at that on Saturday. And then I'm actually going to a local neighborhood's women's group this week um, to talk to a group of women 55 and up about mindful eating through the holidays and how to make sure that they enjoy the season without going overboard or feeling sick afterward. So doing a lot of things. Also, my my favorite thing that I've done this month, spoke to the national swim team for Down syndrome. It was so much fun. I got to go to the pool and talk to parents, uh, answer a lot of questions from high-performing athletes. A lot of fun. So if you're interested in having somebody come in and speak to your group, go ahead and visit my website. It's katerichardsonrd.com. I linked that below because my name, Kate, is spelled K-A-I-T, richardsonrd.com, not the other way. So check it out. I've got uh, pricing available. I have topics available if that's something that floats your boat. As always, we are still taking on new one-on-one clients at Nutrition Awareness. The holiday season's a perfect time to meet with a dietitian. Make sure that you're set up for success going into the new year. You can book with us on orlandodietitian.com. 
And the last little fun announcement that I'll make, I won't harp on this too much because it's still in the process, but I'm really excited to say that I have signed a contract with a publishing company to publish the book I've been working on for what, two and a half years? So I'll be giving you more information about that as we trickle into the new year, but stay tuned. Follow me on Kate Richardson RD on Instagram to stay in the loop. Alrighty, let's talk about tips to making weight loss a lifestyle. Just to clarify, making weight loss a lifestyle, what does that mean? It simply means behaving in a way and having habits that contribute to maintaining a healthy weight if you're already there and sustaining weight loss if you've already achieved it. Of course, these habits also are going to be part of a weight loss program. So depending on what you're doing, what you know about weight loss or where you are in your journey, these are gonna be tips that I really encourage you to integrate as much as possible and make habitual. They're simple, they're not too hard, but they will contribute to sustainable weight loss progress. Number one, manage your stress and manage your sleep. Maybe that's two tips in one, but let's start with the stress piece. I hear this all the time. Somebody has a new season of life where they're very stressed and all of a sudden they've started putting on some extra weight. They feel less motivated to do things because they're overwhelmed. In a lot of situations, we cannot control the stress. Maybe it's a death of a loved one. Maybe we got a new job promotion that we've been working on forever and it's just a demanding season and we cannot control the stress. In those situations, I say give yourself a break, right? Especially if you're going through a death in the family or you're grieving, it's just not the right time to really focus on weight loss or building new habits. But for those everyday stressors, right, work's crazy, you're driving kids around, you know, your in-laws are bothering you, I don't know, whatever's going on, we have to learn how to manage our stress because I see one of two things happen. Person A is going to be so stressed out that she completely loses her appetite. She has no interest in eating, especially during the stressful situation. Let's just say it's a woman who works and has kids. She's up, her morning is off to a start, kids are running around, she's getting people ready, it's just chaos. She doesn't even think about eating, maybe she doesn't really have much of an appetite. Maybe she grabs something that's not very healthy and is out the door. Then when she's at work, she is so sucked into the, you know, just the everyday tasks and the stress that she loses her appetite or doesn't think about eating. And then as soon as she gets home or she's on her way home and things are calm, that appetite creeps up with her, creeps up to her with vengeance. She might have cravings to snack. She might be ordering takeout for the third night in a row, overeating after dinner, snacking into the night. It's a bad cycle. It's not a helpful cycle. So if you know that you have a very stressful life and that leads you not to eat, you have to come up with different ways to make sure that you're fueling your body throughout the day. It is not a badge of honor to skip breakfast and skip lunch because you're so busy because that always is going to bite you in the butt. It might bite you in the butt that night. It might bite you in the butt that weekend. But starving yourself in the name of stress, never a good idea. The other person, person B, she is so stressed that she turns to food. And I see this more with like the low grade, maybe emotional stress, like that internal stress, more so than the external stress. What I mean by that is let's just say someone's got like 
annoying things going on, meetings that kind of stress them out. Maybe they're kind of in a fight with somebody in their life, but it's not that extreme. It's not soul crushing. It's just, ugh. And they turn to food for comfort. So they have a little downtime between meetings. They feel the need to just release some built up energy and they do so by eating or they feel a little bit stressed out because they're going home alone on the weekend when they wish they were with their partner or with their friends and they feel stressed and sad and they eat. So stress eating can come in a lot of different forms. And of course, that doesn't help with maintaining a healthy weight, with eating healthy or just feeling good in general. So in these situations with person B, we have to identify that the stress is there, but we need a different response. We have to respond to the stress with something other than food. This could be the obvious things that people always say, exercise, it could be taking a bubble bath. I find that the best things are going to be something that gives you a release. Oftentimes when we're feeling stress, it's looking for a place to go and food is just shoving it down. So a release could be journaling, it could be calling or texting a friend, venting to somebody, going outside, playing with your pet, playing with your kids, taking a walk, doing some kind of release. Breathing exercises are amazing. And stress management can be proactive or it can be reactive. So you might hear someone say that they work out every morning to help manage their stress. That's proactive stress relief. And then there's reactive. Let's say you're feeling tense. Instead of popping a bag of popcorn, you go punch a punching bag. That's reacting to stress. I want to tell you that there may be times that you still respond to stress with food. And that's okay. You can have a toolbox full of tools to respond and prevent stress. And one of them might be food. (laughs) That's fine. I know one thing for me that really helps me unwind and relax is cooking a scratch meal and then eating it. It's really nice. Uh, But that's a different experience than just ordering Taco Bell because I'm so frantic and stressed and need some kind of comfort. So your tools can involve food. I just don't want your only tool for managing stress to be food. So identify whether you're person A who's so stressed, she doesn't eat all day and it bites her in the butt, or if you're person B who's stress eating all day long and reacting to stress with food. Both have a different set of needs. And like I mentioned in the beginning, the other thing that really matters for making healthy lifestyle changes means starting your day off with a good sleep. This topic bores the crap out of my clients. They kind of just look at me blankly when we talk about getting more sleep. But when I tell you sleep is the foundation to a healthy lifestyle, I'm not kidding. Poor sleep, which could be lack of sleep, disrupted sleep. So maybe you're waking up a lot in the night, rolling around, not feeling very restful, or you're up really late, thoughts are racing and getting up too early. Poor sleep is associated with increased oxidative stress, It also can increase your risk of insulin resistance, which is not good if you are trying to maintain a healthy weight and prevent diabetes. In a nutshell, when you are insulin resistant, it means that your body doesn't know how to utilize the glucose or the carbohydrates that you eat because your cells are not open to receiving them and then therefore burning them for energy. So when you're insulin resistant, the cells don't open up 
to receive the energy from glucose that you're eating. Therefore, the glucose in your blood, the sugar in your blood, has to go somewhere so your body forms new fat cells. This is why you might hear insulin as being the fat-storing hormone. Yeah, when you're insulin resistant, when you're resistant to insulin, then you can store more fat because of insulin. And poor sleep is associated with insulin resistance. Also, extra time spent awake might just increase the hours that you have to eat. I mean, how many people out there have ever been awake and anxious at midnight and you self-soothe with eating or even 10 p.m.? I know for me, when I can't sleep, I'll go lay on the couch and watch TV, which is not healthy either. But I know some people respond with food. Uh, Not a very great thing. And if you're disrupting your circadian rhythms, you are going to have less appetite control during the day. I see this very clearly with myself and I hear it all the time with clients. If you are tired because you got six hours of sleep and your kid woke you up in the middle of the night or whatever it is, your phone rang, you may notice you have an increased appetite for sugar and refined carbs during the day. There's a lot of reasons why this could be happening, but I think the most interesting aha reason for me is sugar and refined carbs are your body's preferred source of energy. So when you're sleep deprived, you're energy deprived. Eating sugar and more calories from food is your body's way of getting energy. So it is very important for everybody to get a good quality night's sleep as often and consistently as possible. For some people, this might be seven hours. For other people, it might be eight to nine hours. Everyone's going to look a little bit different. I do find this is just anecdotal. I'm sure there are some studies out there that could potentially back this up, but I don't want to make that claim that my women clients do need a little bit more sleep. They tend to thrive between eight and nine hours of sleep where my male clients can get away with seven. I don't think anybody is doing that well under seven hours. I know that's the old paradigm that hustle culture spoon fed us i wouldn't recommend anyone get less than seven hours of sleep consistently the best resource to learn about sleep because i'm not a sleep expert is matthew walker he's got his phd he's a sleep study expert he wrote a book called why we sleep and he's got a podcast highly check that out if you're the kind of person who just cannot sleep well or consistently and you don't know where to start Okay, the next lifestyle tip for making weight loss a lifestyle is eating a fruit and vegetable with every meal. I know, what a boring, what a boring basic tip. Eat your fruits and vegetables, but it makes a difference. If you are focusing on eating more produce, fruit and vegetables, here's the benefit. Of course, there are micronutrients. So you're giving your body those micronutrients it's needing. So it's not going to go crave them from other sources. It's going to help your body function. Fruit and vegetables are relatively low calorie and they're high in fiber and water. So you can get a big volume of sustenance for low calories that fills you up. It's also really hard to overeat fruit and vegetables. Who has ever binged on carrot sticks or bananas or broccoli florets? I don't binge on those things because they're so filling and satiating. So if you're constantly thinking, I need a fruit and or vegetable with this meal, you're going to fill up faster on less and you're going to feel good. Fiber from fruits and vegetables and the water that naturally comes along with fruits and vegetables 
is also going to aid in digestion, which can help you feel less bloated, leaner, just better. There will always be times where you cannot have a fruit and vegetable because you ran out of produce at your house or you're staying with a friend who doesn't eat healthy and he or she doesn't have any fruits or vegetables. That's fine. (laughs) There's going to be situations where there's a fruit, there's no fruit or vegetable available. If you're doing this 80% of the time, you're going to be in great shape. I've heard a lot of clients do this a little bit differently. They may always have a fruit with breakfast uh, or a vegetable with dinner. Or other people say they always want to have a salad for lunch. Their salad's not boring. It's not romaine lettuce with grilled chicken. It's something really exciting. It's some kind of themed salad. I really like to make an Asian-inspired Thai peanut salad. So I'll take a bell pepper and I'll dice it up. Shredded carrots, shredded cabbage whatever green of choice. I like romaine for this, although that's not the most nutritious. That's what I like. And then I'll just get brown rice noodles with tofu and make a peanut sauce. That is a high fiber vegetable rich lunch that fills me up, makes me feel good, and it's not boring, not in the least. So you can find a fun salad if that's just an easy way for you to get your fruits and vegetables in. I know other people hate salads. So if they have a sandwich or they have a wrap, They just have a side of vegetables instead of something like chips. There are many ways to do this. I'll tell you lunch and dinner are the easiest times to really uh, capitalize on getting your fruit and vegetable intake in, but do not forget about snacks for vegetables and fruit. And breakfast, you can always find a way to integrate a fruit at breakfast. Even if you're doing something savory, like, I don't know, an egg sandwich, have a handful of berries on the side, you'll be golden. Step three, tip three. Eat slow. Eat slow. (laughs) I know that I am prone to eating fast. That is my natural state of being. I'm a fast eater. I remember being a kid and kind of self-conscious about how fast I was eating. I don't really know why. I think because as a kid, my dad would steal food off my plate at dinner if he was done because he's He's kind of, he was fast, not so much anymore. Um, So I think I would like scarf my food down so that he wouldn't take it. I don't know. I didn't have siblings or anything, so I didn't feel much food competition. But I'm just a fast consumer. If I'm getting a beverage, like a cocktail, I'm always the first one to finish. Just a fast consumer. And this is not best practice for weight loss. And we've probably all heard this before. If you haven't, when you eat slow, it gives your brain more time to register that you're full. So there is a little transportation system, your vagus nerve, from your stomach to your brain that they they communicate. So it takes a while for your stomach to send a message to your brain that it's at capacity and to stop eating. So if we are woofing down food really fast, we might go up and get seconds, even when we're actually full and don't need it, or we might overeat at that meal. Now, when it comes to eating slow, there's a few different tactics you can utilize. My favorite one is if you're eating in a group. So let's say you eat lunch with your coworkers, dinner with your family. Notice who the slowest eater is. Match their pace. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to tell anyone. But if you even have like a little toddler who just eats really slow, Try to match their pace. It is going to feel uncomfortable, but the more you practice eating slow and kind of have someone to watch, the 
more quickly, you'll be able to adapt that habit yourself, even if you never get to the slowest pace they have. I remember I did this once for a friend. She had made dinner in college and we went to her house and we were all eating pasta on the couch, watching a movie. And I would like keep the bowl of pasta in my hands and just like take a bite, chew, take a bite, chew. She would take a bite, put the bowl on the coffee table, sit back and like chew, watch the movie, and then maybe a minute later pick up the bowl again. I remember being so shocked by this. I was like, you're putting down the bowl between bites? Like, what? But she ate so slow and you know, I was just very impressed by it. And I think about that all the time now when I'm eating dinner in front of the TV, which I do alone sometimes. I will take a bite and put the bowl down and I think of her. And it was amazing. It was a trick that worked for me. So match the slowest eater in the room. If you're alone, you can set a timer for yourself and try to keep pace with that timer. So I would do somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes. Gold standards, 20 minutes, that's a long time to eat, especially alone if you're busy. So 10 minutes is much better. Take your first bite and click click start, or you know if you start at 20 minutes and it's going down, and try to extend your meal throughout the whole 10 to 20 minutes. So try to keep some food on your plate for the last five minutes. And at that point, you can decide if you really want to eat it. So maybe you finish two-thirds of the plate in six minutes and you've got four minutes left. If there's a little bit of food left as you get to that last couple minutes, you can decide if you want to eat it or not. But you're taking breaks to really decide, am I full or am I still hungry? And you're not going to stop the meal or go back for seconds until that 10 to 20 minutes is up, depending on what you decide. I love doing this practice with clients. It frustrates the hell out of them. I've done it myself where I'll watch a YouTube video while I eat lunch. Maybe it's 18 minutes and I'm like, I'm going to eat for the whole video. And it's so annoying, but it does help. And a lot of times I just end up throwing a little bit of food away because I'm full. The next tip for making weight loss a lifestyle. Don't be tempted by fad diets. I talked about this a little bit in the beginning and definitely in part one. But here's the problem with fad diets. They give you quick results that do not last and they screw with your metabolism. And then the next time you try to diet, your metabolism's screwed with and it's going to be even harder to lose weight. If I had a dollar for every time a client told me that it was so easy for them to lose weight on their 1200 calorie diet or their macro counting diet, the first one to two times, I would be rich and they want to blame it on age. And that's not always the case. Sure, losing weight when we're 18 is easier than when we're 30, but it shouldn't be that much easier. What happens is when we lose weight very quickly because we're on a fad diet, our body learns oh, you're starving. I'm just going to use an example. Let's call her um, Jane. Jane did a 1200 calorie diet when she was 25. She lost 40 pounds. She lost 40 pounds in like six months. She felt fantastic. She was like, this is it. Her body was saying, what the hell is going on, Jane? We used to eat 2,500 calories a day. You must be dying. You must be in a famine. You must be starving. And my bo- my priority for you, Jane, is to keep you alive. So what does the body do? Well, it doesn't boost your metabolism so that you burn more energy and get even thinner. It actually slows your metabolism so that you burn less energy and you don't die. 
that's what's going to keep you alive. If you just burned all of your body fat, you would die. The only people who do that have a mental or psychiatric disease called anorexia, and that is bad. They have trained their minds to overcome their body. That is a psychiatric disorder. The rest of us, our body is working on our side. Our body says, Jane, you're only eating 1,200 calories. I'm going to slow your metabolism down so you stop losing weight, and I'm going to send you increased signals to eat more because you need to go find food. Everything else you're doing doesn't matter. You need to go find energy. So Jane, her metabolism that was once used to burning, I don't know, 2,500 calories is now delayed and it's gone down somewhere closer to 1,200 calories. And she's really hungry. So as soon as she goes on vacation or the holiday comes around and she kind of slips off her diet and she remembers, ooh, how good food tastes, She's not only hungrier, but she's got a slowed metabolism and she will regain weight. She will regain the weight, if not all of it, more of it. (laughs) So then she gets frustrated. She's like, well, I'm just going to do the 1200 calorie diet again. Her metabolism has learned her tricks. So unless she's been strength training and putting on a ton of muscle tissue, which increases your metabolism, she has really screwed herself. So she's going to try to go on the 1200 calorie diet again. And maybe this time she loses like five to 10 pounds, but she regains it and it happens a lot slower. And then she tries again and it doesn't work. And she comes in to my office after trying this multiple times over the course of five to 10 years, nothing changes. Okay, we have to recalibrate your your metabolism, which isn't as scary as it sounds. I promise there's a whole method to that that I think I've talked about on other podcasts, but... Uh, I'm happy to talk about that if people are interested. But she cannot go on a restrictive diet like that again if she ever wants to see results. So if you're in a place right now where you have never lost a significant amount of weight and you want to, you are in the best position to start making healthy lifestyle changes. You will gradually lose weight and you have a much, much higher chance of sustaining them versus cutting calories or going keto or doing something whack. So please don't be tempted by fad diets. The other point I want to make by this is let's say that you're doing healthy changes. You are exercising, you're eating healthier, you know you're eating a little bit less but not too less and the progress is happening slow and you feel tempted to go do something crazy like Ozempic, that's another example, or Phenermine. Don't do it. The same thing's going to happen. I know slow is frustrating, but you're in a certain position and it didn't take you overnight to get in this certain position. It's not supposed to take you overnight to get out of it. Enjoy the process, embrace the fact that it's slow, and just remember that you're in much better shape by getting slow, sustainable progress than someone who's just dropping weight really quickly. Catch up with them in a few years um, and you'll probably see that they have not sustained that progress. It sucks, but it's the reality for most people. Tip number whatever, number four, number five. This is tip number four. (laughs) No, it's not. It's tip number five, man. Okay, eat protein at every meal and snack. Eat protein at every meal and snack. Why? Protein is one of the macronutrients that helps us feel full. It also builds muscle tissue. If we are primarily just eating carbohydrates at meals, which a lot of us do because we are just grab and go, and a lot of grab and go foods are high carb, lower in protein, maybe relatively high in not so healthy fats, then we're gonna constantly feel hungry. 
So by eating a good source of protein with every meal and snack, including breakfast, lunch, anything in between, you're going to feel fuller for longer. What is a good amount of protein? It is going to vary from person to person. I have most people start somewhere between 20 and 40 grams per meal. And that's three times a day. That's not that much. If you're only getting 20 grams of protein three times a day, you're getting 60 grams of protein throughout the day. That is too low, girlfriend. We have to increase that. So some people are going to have maybe breakfast is lower protein, but then their lunch and dinner are high protein and they're having a snack that's got 10 to 15 grams of protein. A lot of protein at every meal. If you are somebody who is a lot bigger, you're trying to put on a lot of muscle tissue, you're just a bigger person, you're probably going to be closer to 40 to 50 grams of protein a meal, or I'd have you at 30 to 40 grams of protein a meal and two snacks where you're hitting somewhere between 20 and 30. That's a lot of protein. That's for my big people who are putting on a lot of muscle tissue and training heavy. So for most people to reiterate, 20 to 40 grams of protein three times a day and any snack that you have should have at least 10 grams of protein. Sources of protein. Well, we can look at animal sources first. Animal sources of protein are more bioavailable, meaning our body is going to absorb them better than plant sources. Meat, dairy, so Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, fish, eggs, whey protein powder. Those are going to be bioavailable animal sources of protein. The most bioavailable sources of plant protein are soy. So you could find that in tofu, tempeh, or any kind of soy milk or supplement product. Uh, or protein bar. Pea protein is also a little bit more bioavailable than other plant sources of protein, normally found in bars and shakes. You can also find plant-based protein, although a little bit less bioavailable, in beans, lentils, chickpeas, nuts. Great sources of protein. I'd want you to eat them with more complete sources of protein. If you are vegetarian or vegan, we just need a variety of these plant-based proteins at every meal. So I want you to have beans and lentils beans and brown rice, which contains some protein. I want tofu. It's a very bioavailable protein if you're open to eating it. The other tip, I'm going to say, yeah, I can't remember if I talked about this on on part one. I made notes about it, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's a really important one, which is including alcohol, don't drink a lot of your calories. Don't drink a lot of your calories. When you drink liquid calories, there's no satiety factor, right? Think about when you eat an apple, you feel really full. When you drink apple juice, you feel nothing. So you're just getting a lot of calories without that satiety. When you're trying to eat for weight loss or sustaining weight loss, when you eat, you want to eat for fullness and of course flavor, but especially fullness. You want to feel full after you consume something. Alcohol is fun. It doesn't do anything for you. Juice, it may seem really healthy. It doesn't do a lot for you. Just eat your fruits and vegetables with every meal. Coffee, it's fine until you start adding a bunch of sugar and junk. Soda, obviously no good. Sweet tea, same thing. My caveat to this is smoothies. Smoothies don't count. They're whole foods, just blended up so they change form. They still have fiber. I want them to have protein. I want them to have healthy fat so they're satiating. So a smoothie with just orange juice, bananas, and strawberries, not very healthy. But if you take a smoothie and the base is some kind of full fat cow's milk or almond milk, and you put protein powder in there, and then a ton of raw fruits and veggies, 
that's golden. It may not keep you as full as long as eating a big plate of fruits and veggies and a food protein, but it's going to keep you fuller for longer than a juice. So don't drink many of your calories if you are trying to make weight loss a lifestyle. That is just a good habit to get into. If you're in the habit of ordering a sugary drink when you go out to eat or when you're eating something at home, I would strongly encourage you to modify that. So I'm sorry if I said that one in part one. I remember when I was making my notes here, I think I did a little flip-flop and I can't remember which one that is, but important. So those are my biggest tips for weight loss as a lifestyle. If you have any other ones that you want me to share or that really worked for you, please let us know. I've linked all of our socials in the show notes. My personal one is Kate Richardson RD. Our podcast and company one is nutrition.awareness. So just send us a little DM and let us know what weight loss lifestyle habit has worked for you. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. And if you did find it helpful and want to share it with the whole world, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram in your stories at nutrition.awareness so we can connect with you. To get notified about the next episode of Nutrition Awareness, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to create your own personalized nutrition plan with us, be sure to schedule your virtual or in-person consultation on our website, www.orlandodietitian.com. Now get out there, fuel up, and live your healthiest life. We'll see you on the next episode.